0: This is The PR Pod, the podcast that brings you expert tips for working in PR and finding your niche, with your
1: host, Brooke Burns. Welcome to The PR Pod, the essential podcast for emerging public relations professionals. This episode, we're discussing a topic which I don't think gets enough airtime within the PR industry, mental health. And to help with that, I'm joined by two guests, Katie Feeder, a psychotherapist who spent 20 years working in media and creative industries before she moved into psychotherapy, and Karina Durham, who, as well as being general manager at Palin Communications, is also part of the Mentally Healthy Change Group, which is focused on empowering the creative, media and marketing industry to smash the stigma around mental health. Karina and Katie, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Katie, let's start at the beginning. How do you define mental health?
0: Sure. Um, well, if you were to Google it or to ask the World Health Organization, um, they would tell you that it is a state of well-being in which an individual can cope with the normal stresses of daily life. Um, I take a slightly different or a broader view, which is essentially, in my view, mental health is part of the human experience. So if you've got a body, then you have a physical health. And if you've got a body, you've got a mind. And if you've got a mind, then you have a mental health. Um, and like all aspects of health, it's, a, it's quite a broad continuum and it's an ever evolving um, and, and shaping experience. So I can wake up this morning and I can feel really great if I were to look at my physical health and I might have a headache at lunchtime. And I may feel, oh, that's okay. Like I can self-manage that and I might take an aspirin and I don't need to involve anybody else in the experience of my headache. Or it might be that I'm really well for about six months and then I have the flu and I need some intervention, but not too uh, significant. Maybe I visit my GP and I get some antibiotics. Or if I were to go totally to the other end of that scale, um, which is all within the very... um, kind of all within the acceptable realm of physical health, I may have the most severe, like a cancer, and really need serious help and intervention. And and for me, I see the same way our, our mental health and that continuum, which is it isn't a steady, consistent, totally equal thing. It's something that has a seasonality to it. And depending on what comes into your life, And here there are are two things always, and this is what I'm always working with when I work with clients in the clinic, is that there is an outer event, and then there is your inner experience of that event. So the three of us here could have exactly the same day, we could bump into exactly the same people, they could say exactly the same things to us, we could eat exactly the same food, and how we feel about it, our inner experience of that
1: day would be completely different,
0: because our makeup, is as individual as our physicality.
1: And and I think that inner experience, especially for the purpose of today's podcast, when we talk about the PR industry um, can vary. And like you touched on those different external factors or influences or experiences can affect us all in very different ways. Karina, in your experience, what are some examples of situations that can drive PR practitioners, to, PR practitioners to a space where their mental well-being is perhaps not as healthy as it could be?
2: I think it's quite interesting that Katie was speaking about the, your inner experience and um, certainly through um, what I've been exposed through the Mentally Healthy Initiative um, for the media industry is... One of the high stresses for people within my own industry is your own personal pressures and expectations of yourself and I think everyone quite naturally that falls into this industry are quite competitive by nature. So you're competing for your campaigns, you're vying for journalists' attention for editorial stories, you're pitching for new business, you're driving your own career progression and overall you're quite results driven. So there is a lot of pressure from within yourself to sort of achieve these things, and really from the get go, as soon as you leave uni, if you're if you're quite driven to succeed in the, the communications industry, you can quite easily fall into a pattern where you're you feel compelled to push yourself beyond your limits, and um, and, and there's always this perpetual feeling that you have to balance expectations. So managing client expectations, managing the expectations of your workplace, and then of course your own personal expectations as well. So I think by nature PR practitioners just have some of those qualities that can sort of tip you over the dangerous side, if you will, if you um, don't allow yourself to sort of stop and breathe a little bit.
1: Uh, Katie, I want to talk to you about that a little bit more in PR is no different to any other industry in that it doesn't matter what sector or industry you work in, we all are affected by people around us and situations. How important or valuable or um, destructive can it be to compare yourself to other people who, like you have said, may have a very different experience with a situation?
0: Mm. Uh, I think the first question that I would ask the person who is looking outside of themselves for a reference point is um, who are you looking to and why? Because if you are looking to the other as a comparison and, and if that comparison is a metrics through which you will then value yourself. So I am not stronger then or I am not you know, more productive then or I am not whatever, I, I would not um, suggest that that's going to be very healthy because you know your diet is not just what you eat. It's what you watch, it's what you listen to, it's the people you hang out with, it's everything that you're consuming and that you are fueling. And ultimately, we are the stories we tell ourselves. So if I am feeling disempowered and I look around me for reference points, I'm going to ask myself disempowering questions. Why am I not as quick as Karina? Why am I not as fast as Brooke? Why am I not as, that narrative is going to, it's only going to amplify the prevailing insecurity or whatever it is that is driving you to reference yourself against somebody else. Um, When we're feeling empowered, in contrast, of course, we ask empowering questions, and my belief is the furnace, the real um, kind of inner compass for that needs to be solidified in a really clear, stabilized sense of self. So if you want to fuel or feed uh, yourself outside of yourself, just be really mindful about where you're going. You know, there's brilliant teachers, there's great apps, there's fantastic podcasts, there's really highly conscious conversations that you can get involved in. And I think that that is growing exponentially. And so I would say that it's not that, um, it's not that in and of itself, looking outside of yourself is good or bad, but just be mindful of the energy that you're bringing to it and where you're looking and why.
1: Absolutely. Karina, do you feel this is something that the comparison between, um, yourself and, and colleagues is more prevalent in those that are starting out in PR or in your experience, is it something that sits with people throughout their careers?
2: From a personal perspective, I certainly feel that people are prone to this type of thinking throughout their careers. Um, I've certainly been one of those people that have had moments where I've compared my own success, my own progression, and results with others around me but um, luckily for me I've had fantastic mentors and my, my workplace and the agency that I, I currently head um, has a very healthy um, view of mental well-being in the workplace so um, th- those types of feelings don't seem to fester for too long but I do feel no one is really immune um, from, from these types of feelings but I do feel that people who are coming out of uni or, or out of formal training to to enter the communications industry. I think if they have a view early on, and are talking to all the different people and mentors around them, and plus utilising all those resources, as Katie mentioned, um, you will have a much healthier view of how you should or shouldn't be comparing yourself to those around you. And, And as I said, the industry does have a competitive nature to it but I do feel that we are turning a corner. There is a shift towards more openness about um, anxious feelings, heavy workloads and really trying to understand that the the PR industry doesn't have to have this negative view that it's so fast-paced that it doesn't matter how you achieve results as long as you get there. I think there is certainly a positive shift that is going to help people's thinking about um,
1: this competitive side of the industry. Katie, what tools can people um utilize to help them change this inner dialogue they have with themselves where they perhaps have a history or a pattern of comparing their behavior which as we have spoken about is very normal and it's very prevalent for all of us how can you start to change that narrative within yourself
0: Um, So this is the guts of the work I do and the thing that I am single-handedly most passionate about, full stop in the human experience, which is self-awareness, right? Because if you do not have self-awareness, if you do not have an understanding of self, and by that I mean, here is this external thing that is happening. I am able to hold um, some objectivity about how I am responding to it. Um, I'm then able to hold some inquiry as to what is it in that person or that situation or that event or that belief that is specifically triggering me? And to answer that, that is a completely bespoke, unique thing in your own psychological makeup. What are the origins of that? What are the belief systems in me that are still upholding that? Aha, now I have sight with it, now I can work with it. So it's called object relativity, right? If I have a monkey on my back, I can't see it because every time I turn around it's still there. But if I take something from being unconscious, from being hidden, when I'm just in reaction to it, there's no no consciousness there, and I suddenly have some distance between it and myself, then I can have some proactive choice. So, Uh, Let me bring it to life for you, for example, Brooke. If you and I were in conflict about something, you said something that really triggered me, right? You held an opinion that was really at odds with mine and I could, oh, I could really feel myself flare up, right? All you ever are is a mirror reflecting something back of myself. So there's something in what you said. So the process there is, oh wow, i notice myself having a response to what brooke said which physiologically is probably disproportionate to what she said which is just say a sentence right but i'm raging about it so what is it aha uh-huh. it's come up it's butted up against one of my fundamental values right What where did I get that value? Well, that's a really historic programming that's been running since birth. I mean in my family of origin if you had a if you had a value that was opposed to that you were no good, right? So so this is where we begin. It's almost this excavation of self, right? It's continuing to um, to understand what is upholding each aspect of how you're showing up. The other thing is This doesn't happen in the immediacy of that meeting in that moment. This is big work. um, It happens over time. And quite often you would work with somebody else who can help you through that process. So psychotherapy is a process of self-inquiry. So I'm not the authority on you. How could I possibly be? We've just met. But, But you are. And through my toolkit, I can help you just have greater sight of your emotional makeup and then you understand why you're responding to what Karina or I am saying in the way that you are.
1: Karina, do you feel PR practitioners are forthcoming and putting their hands up to acknowledge when they are struggling with the situation?
2: I do feel that we're getting better. Um, I, I don't feel that the PR industry is unique, if I'm being honest. I think anyone in a professional setting who um, is is in a fast-paced environment um, who, who has quite a lot of pressures from clients and from other types of, of people around you will probably fall into the same type of um, issues in terms of mental well-being in the workplace so I, I don't, I do feel that yes we, we are sort of coming um, I guess towards the, the light at the end of the tunnel if you will where we're actually addressing the the type of workplace that that the PR industry typically works around and the the PR industry really has a not so great reputation because of that fast pacedness. But I do feel that conversations are happening certainly through initiatives like the Mentally Healthy Initiative and conversations that I'm instigating through my own agency to sort of change the way that we approach our day-to-day workplace. Because there is this, um, there has been this historical view that um, it's and I actually read this on LinkedIn the other day, and it was just so so perfect for the PR industry. It's almost like people wear a burnout as a badge of honor. Oh, I, I didn't have take lunch today, or um, I had to pitch to media, and I was I was talking to, to journalists right up until nine o'clock last night, and uh, I had to distribute a media release at five o'clock this morning, which means I'm going to be walk, working fourteen hours. Almost talking about it like it's. Um, a measure of your success so I do feel that we're heading away from that from, from an industry and I do feel that that's going to help PR professionals change their perspective in in sort of how they operate and how they, they how they really interact and rub off one another to be honest
1: and when it comes to providing support to the to people within your team or within your agency um like you've said, people aren't necessarily forthcoming with sticking their hand up to say, I'm not coping with this situation. As a manager um, and through some of the training you've done and the experience you've had within PR agency, what observable behaviours indicate to you that a team member may not be coping as well as they would like to? And then how do you handle that sensitively to obviously not trigger them further by acknowledging that it's clear they're not coping and then Katie I'll come to you to have a chat about um, that from your perspective as well.
2: So from an agency perspective I I realised that we weren't doing enough from a mental well-being perspective. Um, we're a health PR agency so essentially I formed a view that we have to walk the walk a little bit and we've had a, an array of clients working in the mental health space and I really took um, 2019 and 2020 is the years that I put a focus internally on my team and that's part of the reason why I launched the Mindful Movement Initiative for Palin Communications so we could normalize conversations about mental well-being in the workplace because we are all responsible for mental well-being in the workplace. The agency itself as an organization has, um, has a responsibility to ensure that the right practices and conversations that are happening but there's also accountability from the individual perspective. So that's what our initiative tries to teach our consultants and there, there is a few things that we do to um, keep an eye on our team members just to, to make sure that we're, we're watching them. So we, we conduct really simple surveys throughout the, the year just to do temperature checks with our teams. And we've also done a little exercise with everyone's permission to essentially profile each consultant. So it, it's quite—it was quite an interesting exercise because we learned more about ourselves. We were quite open with one another about what our own triggers are, and if I'm in a not in a good mental health space, what are the signs and telltale signs that um, that you're going to see? And purely from that exercise, um, from where I sit, I now know what the different things that my team will experience if they're not having a good time. So some of the things are unclear thinking, withdrawing from the team or from work. Um, Also, they're less responsive, nail biting, foot tapping. If I notice someone's in a boardroom and their foot's tapping, that's a telltale sign for me. Restlessness for myself. uh, I told my team that I have sleep issues or if I get really stressed, my stomach just gets in knots. And we wouldn't have been able to know any of that if we didn't start those early conversations. So now we know how people respond to um, to, to poor mental health, but also we we now have an understanding of how people actually want to be approached about um, mental health. So there, I know that there are people in my team that if I was to tap them on the shoulder and to ask, are you okay, it would make things a million times worse because that's not how they want to be approached. So... We try to respect everyone's individuality as much as we can in order to provide support on an ongoing basis. And all, all these things that I've just mentioned, um, they didn't happen overnight, but they're actually very simple exercises that any workplace can implement just to make sure that your, your team know that, knows that you're being proactive in this space.
1: Katie, it's clear that dialogue and, and communication in general is so important when it comes to either acknowledging to yourself what triggers are, how you're coping, how you're responding to a situation, and then being able to say, do you know what, I, I might need a hand in navigating this a little bit better. However, that is such a barrier for so many people as to put their hand up and say, this, I'm, I don't feel I'm coping with this as much as well as I could. What would you say to those who are reluctant to put their hand up for help?
0: You know life isn't a solo journey. We don't function in a vacuum. Um, quite often there's how we what we're experiencing and then how we feel about what we're experiencing. And it can be that how we feel about what we are experiencing can be more constrictive or damaging or impactful or shameful or guilt driving than how we are actually feeling. Um, so that's the first thing. I think, you know, uh, just be mindful what is what is really happening, and then what is the what is the narrative, what is this entrenched thinking that I have around what's happening for me. Um, and I always say we should treat our stories with um, curiosity, compassion, and kindness, not criticism, you know, usually when we're down, we're verbally kind of beating on ourselves in a way that we never would with a friend. Karina called me and said, you know, I'm really, I'm just feel like I've lost my passion and my drive and I sort of said to her, well, what's been going on? Oh my goodness, I've been working 15 hours. I'd go, well, it kind of makes sense to me right now that you are not your most joyful self, you know, whereas Let's say if I have the same experience, I might be going, why the hell am I not arguing a 10 out of 10, you know, on day 15 or 15 hours a day? You know, it's militant. Like it just sounds so different than it would sound to somebody else, you know? Um, and, and you used a word there, Karina, just in your answer that really caught my attention. And you said accountability. And I think that, you know, we all need to be accountable. Um for managing our own emotional world and our inner world, because by definition, they are inner. They are, you know, hidden to others or they can be. They're very personal. They're very unique. They're very sensitive and they're ours. So for me, um, you know, and I've really thought about this a lot. Do I think that it is the workplace's uh, responsibility to fully help you manage your process not in the fullest sense i don't know so if i were reporting into karina it might be that i'm comfortable to say to her um you know i am having some issues that i need to attend to i'll attend to them outside of work with a professional and and your job as my employee is to help to support me so that I can still honor the contract that we have to achieve the work. In the same way, if I were to use the physicality example with my physical health, if I phone, if I, sorry, Karina, I keep using you, but if I'm working for you and I call up and I've got the flu, I don't expect you to fix my flu, <laughs> you know, but but I, but I would hope that you would have some compassion to say, well, okay, um, what is an absolute, what necessary things do we really need to do Um, how can we support you in that and what can we put down for now and I think the same is kind of true here you know I will be accountable for managing that journey I might go and work with a professional if I feel really dysregulated and need some help Um, I don't have to bring that full truth to this discussion in a workplace.
1: Karina on that Let's say someone does approach a manager, and and put it as articulately as Katie has said, and acknowledge that they're they're getting support outside of the workplace, etc., and they're met with um, a lack of understanding, a lack of care, a lack of compassion, and this seems to be an ongoing problem for this person. They're doing the work they can to the best of their ability, but they don't have the that um, that that understanding support network around them in the professional workplace, what would you recommend they do in those situations?
2: Personally, I feel if your managers, upper management or the broader organisation do not recognise that mental wellbeing is a priority or there is a role for the workplace to play in that, then for, for me, as someone who runs an agency, there is clear signs of maybe systemic issues um, within the organisation for not recognising Mental well-being there, and to, to me, I think it's a bit archaic to think that there is not a level of responsibility from a workplace to assist your um, employees if they're putting their hand up and asking for help. And, and to Katie's point, there there are certainly. Um, It's almost like you're meeting halfway, exactly. I'm not expected to fix someone's anxious feelings or if they have a history of depression or other mental health conditions. My job, I find, is I need to provide the flexibility and the openness and the understanding to ensure that my employees know that they can come to me. I have a safe pair of ears. I'm not going to judge. But I'm also going to allow their day-to-day work to fit in if they need to go see a a, a health professional about their issues because to to me I feel that especially in the PR industry because our day-to-day lives are so regimented and we're very time poor to take even a lunch break is a luxury sometimes so I feel that if organizations and workplaces can at least show that understanding that there is flexibility so people can, can actually go seek the help that they require from the professionals then um that, that that's quite a big thing for people that are struggling with their mental wellbeing. But I do feel that organisations have to be a little bit more open-minded these days in terms of their role in their employees' mental wellbeing.
1: Katie, do you have any extra thoughts on that situation of when you are met with management that don't appear to be particularly supportive of of, of the struggles or issues that you're contending with?
0: Well, I guess there are, there are, there are two... Ways to go in, but what I was thinking about going back to the fact that I work with self awareness and I work with self accountability and I work with, um, you know, how can we be the greatest authority in the room and respectfully so? Is there a way that I could hold the conversation differently? Is there something in how I am feeling that I need to be met which is lacking? And is there a way that I can communicate that? Is it is it deeper than that? Am I am I looking for something, you know, really think about what, what am I looking for from this person? And is that a fair thing to be looking for? And, you know, my, my view is that there are always three energies in any interaction. You know, there's yours and mine and there's the co-creative space. And I think it's really dangerous to start any sentence with you. You need to. You have to. You do this. You know, that's, that is... that um, is I think if you know it just be bring it back to the eye you know and and really just hold your hold your truth respectfully be really boundary and and step into the conversation um yeah just just i i would keep i would keep turning the eye inward because when there's disturbance and there's conflict it's really it's again it's really disempowering to project out onto the other to to have the full authority in your
1: life. Yeah, absolutely. Karina, when you're in PR, it's really important to keep across the news. I think anyone that works in PR, doesn't matter where you are across the world and what sector you're in, you need to be absorbing news and you need to be know what's happening in your sector and your industry and even outside of that. However, if someone is struggling with anxiety, that news can be very triggering and especially during the last year or so with COVID, with... um, restrictions about being unable to access your support networks um, in terms of not being able to physically see friends or family um, and being therefore so reliant on the news for the information of whether restrictions have relaxed or how they are impacting your life. How do you find that balance of doing what is required of you for your job where you need to be across the news, but also protecting yourself from that news cycle where you are being presented with these additional triggers?
2: That's a that's a good question and it's, it's a good question for me given that I work in the health space exclusively. So the last 12-plus months have been quite interesting from a COVID perspective and especially my agency has um, been quite involved in very specific COVID-related project work. So we've been very mindful that it is a stressful time um, for us to be absorbing a lot of COVID pandemic-related news, but we also have to... Um, almost be a bit of a sounding board for our clients as well because we do have some clients that aren't, I wouldn't say not coping, but but you do feel that there is a bit of strain coming from the very strange place that we are, we're sort of emerging out of. So it's almost like we, we try to find, we're seeing ourselves as a bit of a support network for our clients um, in that regard. Um, In terms of protecting uh, balance, it is difficult for us sometimes um, from a personal perspective, and what I try to um, educate my team on is that there is always going to be ebbs and flows with the type of work that we're doing, and there is going to be a lot of times that we're going to have to be absorbing far. Greater volumes of news um, on a day-to-day basis, depending on what we're launching campaigns, media requests. So um, the example that I just provided, we've been doing a lot of COVID-related project work, and that has actually required us to do a lot of work outside of, I guess, traditional office hours, working on weekends, which means that your personal time just gets truncated quite a bit, and. Um, I've been keeping quite a close eye on my team to ensure that they're recouping that personal time and the agency is doing little things like um, making sure we're reminding them about time and lose so they can actually stop and cut themselves off from work a little bit so they can actually take a bit of a break. And, um, but, but there are, I, I try to set the expectation that there are these instances where a lot is going to be asked of us. Um, in certain respects, but there is no expectation from the team that this is sort of a consistent way that we would be working. Um, So the the example of us working a bit um, longer hours or working on weekends, they're sort of exceptions to the rule a lot of the time, but um, I do quite a bit of work to ensure that whatever that personal time is encroached from our work gets um, given back to our team members so they can actually properly shut off and just get out of work mode for a little bit.
1: Katie, it's one thing acknowledging what those triggers are and maybe they're the news cycle and that doesn't put you in a great space. But I guess the other part of that is the reality of sometimes you can't remove those triggers and this situation being an example of that. You can't stop reading the news. It is your job to be across what's happening in the news. So when you do identify a trigger, but the reality is you you can't separate yourself from that as much as you would like for whatever reason how should that be tackled by an individual
0: so i talk a lot about holism and you've probably heard it more commonly you know whole foods or whole whatever and and essentially it is all that we are so if you are in a period of your life where you're having to consume lots of news which the which your experience of can be really exhaustive and really draining and really overwhelming and somewhat depressing. I'm just projecting here, but let's say that is your experience. Then the way that we hold that in balance is to seek its opposite. So actually I would say, take step away from it and look to where is its polarity? Where is its opposite? And let's spend some time doing something that cultivates joy. Whatever that is for you. So there isn't a definitive expression of that thing. But the objective is how do you feel joyful or how do you feel relaxed or how do you help to to facilitate or encourage or um, seduce yourself into a state which is different to the state you're in when you watch the news. The reason why we're doing that is balance. Yin, yang, night, day push pull right because that that is the it's almost like if there is an axis point, and on one it's complete stress and exhaustion and on the other it's complete lightness and joy um you need you need both one is not better or worse than the other but you need both to hold them in balance so i would just be really mindful in the same way with your um, I keep going back to this physical health analogy today. I've never used it before. So we'll see when I listen back to this one. i just go, wow, you really overreacted. that. <laughs> but, you know, look, there are certain things that you know you need to do. You need to eat. You need to sleep. You need to shower. You need to get out in sunlight. You need to speak to them. If you didn't do these things and you just continued, if you just completely disregarded any of them, it would be unrealistic to have the expectation that you would come up feeling good right so i would just say and these can be micro moments you know you're not going to get two weeks in the caribbean right now but but what can you get and how can you force yourself to stop and how can you give yourself full permission to value those moments in the same way that you value your output of doing and you know oh look i've said this pr release and i've conquered this client and I've written this brief and I feel good about myself because I have achieved this really tangible outcome that everybody around me is echoing back is valid and important and you know worthy so too must you give that same focus and attention and priority and value to um doing stuff that looks different to that so that you as an individual can have more of a holistic more of a rounded emotional experience because like two muscles one will come in to help the other in balance
1: i think that theme of balance is such an important one that you brought up katie and it's something that i um recognized that i needed to integrate into my work cycle when i started working um from home you know I've been doing that for five and a half years now that's a structure of my agency it's just me and I work from home but with that I recognized that I wasn't aside from clients and me I wasn't talking to a team around me I wasn't catching up with what people were doing or what they did on a weekend or how their date was last night um, and because it is my own business there's endless work that I could be doing I mean I could be working 24 hours so one of the things that I introduced was actually having a lunch break and watching Netflix for an hour Every day, sometimes an hour and a half, sometimes it's 20 minutes, but I needed to introduce that to break myself away from emails coming through um, and to take my mind off thinking about things. You know, otherwise I'd be constantly thinking about, oh, this is coming up or that media releases that I need to do, or how could I pitch this a little bit more effectively because I didn't get cut through there. So I think you need to, as an individual, understand where your peaks and troughs are what balances you out, and being kind and allowing those opportunities to to either be in your life or to create those opportunities, Karina, for you, what's your balance between uh, the challenges of your work life with your uh, mental health?
2: So, so for me, how to get balance between work and and my life um, has actually been a bit not difficult as it has been a challenge over the past 12 months. We of course were all thrown into a very different type of workspace during pandemic but our agency took a collective decision that we were going to stay within a hybrid model because everyone was pretty happy working from home but we also miss the social elements of what we do. So essentially we work two days in the office and the rest is from home and That is quite a significant shift to what I've been used to. And what I have actually found as the big challenge is when working from home, I actually have to properly bookend my days. So when do I officially start and when do I officially finish for the day? Because there were certainly times early on in 2020 where it was just this big blur. My day, I would work really, really hard throughout the day and then I'd be sending emails into the evening but my laptop would still be sort of there glowing in the in the corner and then I'd get up super early and just start it all over again. So that wasn't essentially a good balance and I really wasn't being a positive role model to my team as well because I was doing that. They, they sort of felt the pressure that they had to be doing that too. So for me, um, I mean, Pilates is literally my savior <laughs> the last 12 months and I actually like to bookend my days with starting with a 20-minute stretch exercise and then at the end of the day actually doing a far more substantial type of class. And and for me, that works because that, that actually helps to reset my mind for the different parts of my day. And I guess that's part of my work with my team is I, I try to encourage them to find those little habits or practices that work with themselves to, to help create that definition between work and their, their personal life because I think these days it's so difficult to just take yourself away from your laptop and your emails and it can actually have a very detrimental effect on your mental wellbeing because you're not switching off fully day to day.
1: Katie, what measures have you implemented in your life to, to balance that professional and that personal um, push and pull?
2: Um,
0: it's really interesting that you refer to it as a hybrid model because I've had to so I have two small children so I've had to re-educate myself in terms of when my uh, mental health time or when my balance time or when my so I actually sat down and mapped my week out and for me that's first thing Monday morning and first thing Wednesday morning which was I was kind of going against you know some let's just say a number of uh, decades we won't go into how many worth of education around what time is what because you know I that's just the backdrop of my life is such that that is when it will need to come in so um, I I sat down and and mapped it out and worked out because there's no point waiting until you're completely exhausted. Because my old paradigm was push, 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 collapse, scrap around, self-care, 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 promise to never do it again, push, 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 collapse, self-care, 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 self-care promise to never do it again, push, push, and this went on for years. So I sat down and said, "All right, um, I'm going to focus um, not not on the the belief, which may sound something like." I don't have any time or, um, you know, I can't do 20 minutes in the morning or whatever. I'm going to focus on the output. What do I want to achieve? I'm going to map it out, make it quite structured. Um, And then I'm going to commit to it. And I, this word discipline is a really interesting word that I've been sat with this year, because I always used to think that it had sort of negative connotations. And then I read at the start of the year, um, Atomic Habits by James Clear, which you may have read. And I really loved what he said there about, you know, people think that discipline is a really negative thing. But actually, by having those pillars in place, it gives you much more freedom and choice. Because you're not then obsessing about that thing, so I'm not holding the guilt or the weight or the shadow of you really haven't done any self care. But I'm just you know slowly attuning to it in a way that suits me in doing stuff that I genuinely enjoy, stuff that seduces me. I love to swim. You know, there'd be no point putting spin class in there for me because I just cannot bear the noise and being screamed at. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but. Nice silence, I'm like, there's enough of that in my life. But silence in a swimming pool, oh yes, I sign up for that, you know, or yin yoga, beautiful. So that's how I get my balance.
1: What can employees do to help foster a healthy um, space in terms of mental wellbeing? And then Katie, I'll come to you after about recapping on as an individual what you can do for yourself. So Karina, let's start with you.
2: Sure. So I do feel, um, as I mentioned earlier, there there has to be some um, balance between what an employer and what the employee does. It's almost you have to meet yourself halfway to ensure these conversations are happening in the workplace. And I think from from certainly from someone in my position, you can get caught up quite easily trying to think of what is the shiny really attractive program that I can pull together that employee assistance program that's really that's going to fix all the mental health and well-being problems in my agency that takes too much time I think from from a manager's perspective you just need to jump in and just start talking to your team about it have those collaborative conversations and going okay I don't feel we're doing enough in this space and then actually just actively brainstorm with your team and create those opportunities on an ongoing basis Um, it's not going to take one meeting it's just gonna you're gonna have to chip away at this quite a bit to um, to get people talking about what they actually want from their workplaces in terms of mental well-being and in that respect employees need to come prepared to show a bit of vulnerability in those scenarios to go, well, I actually think we should be doing X, Y, Z. And, and and that's the way that we've certainly tackled mental well-being in those types of conversations at our agency by creating those moments on a more regular basis so people are starting to warm to the idea that, oh, it's okay to share my ideas or to um, turn to a colleague and sort of share my vulnerabilities a little bit. And uh, I certainly think from a workplace perspective, Um, people need to shift away from all those practical, tangible solutions um, and just labeling it as this is our mental health solution. So not everyone wants a yoga class with your entire team. Not everyone wants healthy snacks in the kitchen. Um, They want things like a leader or managers that sort of walk the walk. They want management to show that there is level of flexibility within the day-to-day work day to, to make sure that we're allowing space for us to take care of our mental well being, or they actually want usable resources, not only from your organization, but also resources from all those mental health experts and all those wonderful organizations. So you're creating those safety nets if people do need them.
1: So if the focus therefore for employers is to make sure you uh, have an open dialogue with your employees, Casey, what should that inner dialogue be for the individual?
0: Well, I think openness is just that. It is giving voice to the truth of what is there. And that is uncomfortable because historically, we are used to trading on a very cerebral level, right? We're employed because we know something and, and we demonstrate our knowledge as PR experts in this case to our clients. And we hold this knowledge and they don't have the knowledge and they bring us the thing and we fix it so there's a lot going on there if you look at what the dynamics are in play it's like the value system is based on me being an authority on this thing and you looking to me to fix the problem here problem solution and it all is it is all very outside of ourselves and now we are attuning to something that is much more subtle and i don't think we have yet this same clarity of reference in terms of how do we interact with this how do i how do i hold the courage? How do I hold the confidence? How do I hold the security to step into this conversation in the same way that I would when I am demonstrating my knowledge on this wonderful thing, which I know is brilliant because the world tells me it's brilliant and then I get it to quit you know, it's it's a much, It's a it's a more heartfelt, it's a more soulful aspect. And so I think that's the vulnerability because it's frightening. Because, it, because you are putting down the mask, you're putting down the armor, you're putting down the projection, and we all project, right? We show to the world what it is that we want them to see because we're proud of that, you know? Oh, look at my intelligence, look at my capability, look at my wisdom, look at my patience, look at my professionalism, look at my dedication. Back to holism, look at my sadness, look at my fears. Look at my shadows, look at my wounds, look at my pains. We don't want, we don't trade that, that isn't a currency. So we make this misassumption that people are that and not that. And therefore that I should be this and not that. But we are all of it. It, Given the fact that I am human, I am all of it. I'm confident and, and I am shy. I am courageous and I am fearful. I am loving and I am hateful. That that is the truth of all of us. So I think it's it's a permission piece to, vulnerability to me looks like authenticity and authenticity looks like truth. And truth is frightening in that it may not be what you want somebody to see or know about you. So it takes tremendous courage. I would also say in all of these conversations that let's just begin, just begin to have the conversation. For both the employee and the employer, I don't think the objective is to fix. Nobody needs to be anybody's fixer solution base which again historically that's why we're all there in business right we transact because we're fixing because we're sorting because we're organizing because we're all the authority on but actually this has just got a completely different tonality to it and I think that there is a huge educational piece for all of us here um, this is not a muscle that we flex a lot perhaps with our partners if we have them or with our really good friends or maybe if we're fortunate enough to have really supportive families, but it isn't something that historically has bled into the workplace. We're beginning to say, let's bring it in, let's work with it, let's talk about it, but nobody totally knows what that needs to look like or how that needs to be. So I would just say, look, let's just start at the beginning, which is just, let's give voice to what is there. And without this immediate jumping to fixing, solving, just kind of okay let's work with it or let's discuss it and you know that's just really lots of open-ended questions lots of compassion lots of authenticity lots of truth
1: i think there's something that you both have uh, touched on throughout the course of this episode and i just want to recap on that because i think also the listeners for this podcast episode are based all around the world and from what i know in australia where we are, the three of us are based, there is a quite a lot of stigma around anyone of any industry putting their hand up and saying, Do you know what, I might need to see a therapist or a psychologist or a psychotherapist or any number of support mechanisms. Where in the United States, that seems to be something that is less of a stigma. Katie, what would your words to that be in terms of trying to break down that barrier in being reluctant to... Um, not just do the work internally, but to go to others for support?
0: So for me, it's not even a re-education, it's an education. Because your psyche, to a greater extent, if you don't attune to it, is just a big black hole over here. So, you know, as a parent, it just amazes me. Here we are, every single human who is listening to this, who has ever been or who ever will be, is taught the most fundamental basics in terms of how we interact, how we function, how we show up, how we perform, right? You're taught to dress yourself. You're taught to use the toilet. You're taught to eat, move on in life. You're taught to drive a car, right? You're taught all of these things. If you wanted to fly a plane, I'd say, sure, give me six months, you can fly it. But nobody is expected to be born knowing, right? And yet here we have this huge um, vessel of our experience, which is known as our psychology, our psyche, our thinking, which is the lens through which everything comes through and we internalize and experience and understand everything that comes back out again. Really, good luck with that, you know? Who sat down and really spoken to you about how you begin to attune to yourself? 90%, 90% of how people operate is unconscious. Hello, you're running a business, a marriage, parenting, friendships, relationships, and you're 90% unconscious, it's mad, right? And almost 100% of that is cemented before the age of seven. So I'd actually flip that and go, to me, it's not like, well, how do we kind of make space for this being okay? And go, how did it ever come to be that we did
1: not? Absolutely. I think also perhaps part of it is understanding what value the supportive professionals can provide. Um, it may be different in other countries around the world. Can you give me a quick recap of um, a psychotherapist and what a psychotherapist may focus on versus a therapist or a psychologist? So there's some understanding around what that support mechanism would look like.
0: Sure. Sure. Um, so, I need to caveat this with not a direct delineation and that it is, we do sort of bleed into each other's areas. Um, but in the main, psychotherapy is a school of psychology which is based in self awareness. So, if I have 10 people come to me and say, I have anxiety, I guarantee there are 10 completely different root causalities of that anxiety, their experience of it in terms of, you know, how is it embodied? Is it embodied? Is it more thought-based? Um, what are the triggers for that? What are the belief systems around that? What are the origins of that? How do I work with that? So people come to me and I say, look, um, I do not uh, pretend to be or maintain to be the, the counsel here. I am not the greatest authority on you, as I've already said. We've just met, but something in you is. So what I do is I help uh, to walk alongside almost that individual in that process of self-exploration. And so, um, you know, it, it it often, always, in fact, the greatest catharsis um, and catalyst for change and peace comes from having sight of something which happened at some point in your life, which formed a, a belief system or, a, um, or an experience which is now still alive in you and yet has been unconscious. And in having sight of it, now you have conscious considered
1: choice. Um, can you also clarify then, so we, we understand what a psychotherapist focuses on can you give just a i guess a quick or clinical recap of what a psychologist would or, and is a therapist different to a counselor to a therapist these words kind of get floating around floated around and i and i think there might be some uh, unclarity around who should i be turning to
0: yeah so i sometimes think of it as in we all work at different um points in in the continuum let's say of of how able or how readily you feel to self-regulate so to give um extreme examples if you were in psychosis so you were really you know hearing voices let's say and experiencing completely altered states and were not fully uh, present in a a regulated way, you might go, at that point, certainly I would encourage you to, (laughs) to go to a psychiatrist who has got a medical degree, who can help you um, actually on a physiological level, bring yourself back into balance. I don't have a medical degree. Um, He or she would most likely work with a psychologist and a psychologist will be um, more diagnostic and together they can work to, um, to agree to what they believe is presenting and the best kind of co-collaborative approach to help you um, stabilize, maintain, correct, work with, understand what is there. Psychotherapy as a school of psychology is very much about you would come in to me, um, ready to, to or, or feel to some degree that you can be a part of that healing process. And so my training is, um, I'm sure you've all heard of Carl Jung, very Jungian based, lots of Eastern philosophies, lots of Taoism. I was trained in something called process orientated psychology, which is much more about working with what's there. Um, And it's a very empowering psychology because ultimately there isn't the traditional rank dynamic that says, you know, here I am, you know, as the as the qualified authoritarian, and here you are as somebody who is um, perhaps subject to, but it's more here we are. And collectively, what how can we begin to first of all understand what's really there? Because we cannot work with it in its fullest, deepest root-based essence until we really understand it. And I can't understand it until I really understand you and how you came to be. So so for me, I, I believe it's that, you know, traditionally we look at problem solution, don't we? Problem solution, problem solution. Yes, okay, there is a disturbance here. There is a state which is um less desirable i would much rather be over here and bliss and flow and energy or whatever that catalyst is but in order for that solution to actually be authentic and to have a depth to it it needs to be based in the truth of what it is that's really underpinning your unrest and for that we need to do the you know go into that uh, to, to go into that excavation that i spoke about earlier
1: Perfect, I think that's a great recap, thank you. Um, Ladies, I'm just about to finish it off. Is there anything we haven't covered that you feel would be important to cover or that you'd made note of?
0: I think for me, it's just really, it's just that I would like people to take away um, just the reminder that we all have a physicality, we have a body, and we all have an an inner experience. And that sometimes, Because or quite often, because we don't understand enough about everybody else's inner process, we take what they're presenting externally to be their truth. So we believe that everybody else is perhaps, I mean, this is we're talking about a work context here. So I imagine then that we believe that everybody else has always got their you know what together and that everybody else is always really confident. And then that everybody else is always really capable because it's hidden from us their fullest truth. And so I would just like to say to anybody who's listening to this, that whatever your experience is, is absolutely okay. And you must give permission to it. You must treat it with the compassion and the sensitivity that you would meet a friend. Don't shame yourself. Don't guilt yourself. Don't should yourself. I should this, I should that. And if you feel that for so many of us myself included by the way i work with a psychotherapist because can i see my own shadow no nobody can right because my monkey's hidden on my back just like somebody else's is hidden on theirs right so it's the work of helping so i actually um you know in the same way that you may work with a personal trainer or somebody may you know, lead your Pilates class, or you may have somebody at work who is in a more senior position because they've done it for a bit longer. So you can learn a bit more from them. You know, that it's really, it's collaboration. And um, I would just like to give everybody full permission to to invest in their being journey in the same way that they
1: would in any other aspect of their life. That's really solid advice. Thank you, Katie. Karina, any final thoughts from you? Uh, just to... Um, follow on from Katie's
2: comments I, I do feel from from a work perspective I think it's we just have to continue working together to normalize conversations about mental health we've got so far to go and it is difficult and not only managers but employees have certainly a role to play in sharing vulnerabilities and and sort of breaking through and having those hard conversations but I would also encourage people not to feel discouraged if your expectation is to have a wonderful solution at the end of that conversation. Um, that, that's really not anyone's role. The, the, um, having conversations about mental well being in the workplace is all about um, trying to, to figure out how can the workplace provide support where needed and, and really just to provide that encouragement for you to keep having those conversations. Because I feel that if someone in the workplace raises an issue with their manager and they walk away feeling, oh, well, they didn't really tell me how to fix that, then that, that's going to be discouraging for, for any future conversations. So I think that rather than being really sort of solutions focused, just try to have these conversations when you feel you need to um, and look at it as an opportunity just to share and get things off your back and off your shoulders a little bit. It's, it's about sort of lightening the load um, if you will, just to, to make work a little bit easier and, and, and don't get too concerned if, um, if, if your workplace can't provide a solution. Because as Katie beautifully put it, it, it takes a lot of time and the experts to really step in just to really try help people work through um, mental health, um, not mental health issues, but if you're experiencing certain things and it does take the experts a bit of time to work through that.
1: Thank you both so much for your time and insight today. I think we've covered so much in this episode and there is still so much more we could continue to cover, but I think this is a really nice wrap-up of um, how to approach the mental well being from the employer and the employee's point of view. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And if you'd like to know more about the Mentally Health Group, which Karina is a part of, or would like to touch base directly with Katie, you'll find contact details on the episode page of the website.
0: Thanks for listening to The PR Pod. For more expert tips on working in PR, head to www.theprpod.com.